Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see all of you there on the Internet as well. Welcome to services here, not in Medina, but in Burlington, Canada. And uh, it is uh, certainly cold over here as well in light of the fact that we are still somewhat close to uh, Burlington, I think a little bit about five hours, that is, from Medina, Ohio, on south of the border, uh, but good to be with all of you. Before I get started, I wanted to just share just a few announcements uh, with all of you, because uh, I like to do that occasionally to bring people into the huddled and places I travel, just to kind of keep everyone abreast of uh, kind of what's going on and how things are uh, uh, going within the Church of God International, and I do bring uh, greetings from the home office as well, but wanted to uh, mention that that uh, here recently, I don't know if Murray has uh, gone ahead and shared this with you because Murray as well is on the ministerial council, but uh, we had uh, gone ahead and picked a new uh, individual to be on the council, the ministerial council, with uh, Bronson James going emeritus after some 20, no, 30 plus years of service on the ministerial council, one of the longest ministerial council members that we had uh, in our group, uh, but he went emeritus about a year or so ago, and here recently in the last November meeting of our ministerial council meeting, we appointed uh, uh, Tony Bukert, who was uh, gone ahead and been appointed to the council. So that uh, fills up the uh, spots right now with uh, seven individuals, which would include Murray and uh, Tony, and uh, let me think if I can make sure I get them all here. Roger King, Mike James, that's four. Uh, we have um, myself, that's five. Mike Nolan is six, and George Romacon is seven. Murray's my memory here. <laughs> and then, of course, Wynn Skelton, who does attend with us on a regular basis, who's the liaison between the board of directors uh, for the Church of God International, sits in on the meetings on the weekend, which is uh, kind of nice to have a representative there from the board because uh, that way we all kind of stay on the same page. But did want to uh, share that with you as well as, and I've got some inside information. This is hot off the press. News alert. <laughs> but uh, the Infuse Camp this uh, summer will be uh, held on July 24th through the 26th. And the location is going to be at our new building in Medina, Ohio, just about five hours from here. Uh, so uh, hopefully uh, we'll have a successful camp this year with all the infusers, the igniters, and the sparkers. I think that's it. Uh, but at any rate, it'll cover the whole gamut of all the young people. They're all uh, invited, and I have the first opportunity here to invite you all, even those of you that are on the Internet with us here today, to uh, come one, come all on July 24th through the 26th, that particular weekend. Uh, you'll find that there's a lot of things to do down there as well. We've got uh, Hinkley Lake, as a matter of fact, just about three miles away, where there's canoeing and kayaking and hiking and uh, uh, just a lot of things there that you can do, as well as good restaurants and hotels uh, for uh, your uh, uh ability to uh, stay comfortably in the area. So we'll be having, I'm sure, additional information as we get closer to those dates, but um, did want to uh, share that with you. One last thing as well, and some people have been asking about uh, the recent hire of Mr. Mike James. Mike James now is a full-time employee of the Church of God International and is working uh, primarily uh, out of his home over near the Washington, D.C. area, but certainly is uh, on salary now out of uh, the home office in Tyler, Texas. And Mike is going to be primarily heading up an initiative called the Cell Church Initiative. And the Cell Church Initiative, as I was explaining uh, last night, as a matter of fact, at dinner with uh, Adrian and uh, uh, Sandy and uh, Stefan from Kawartha uh, uh, Lakes, that um, it is a, actually an outgrowth, an organic outgrowth of our Internet webcasting service that has now been going on in spots like here in Burlington, Medina, and, of course, the home office in Tyler, Texas, where people on the Internet are now beginning to tune in on a regular basis and, for all intents and purposes, attending what they would consider their church service for the week. Uh, on their Sabbath service. And as a result of this, small little pockets of study groups are developing. 
And we don't know, uh, and they don't know, basically, how many uh, are out there in terms of proximity to each other. We might have uh, 10, 12, 15 people that are very closely uh, in proximity, but they're unaware of it, and we have a certain ethical responsibility of privacy due to privacy laws in the United States where we cannot disclose, uh, you know, the fact that uh, you're living right next door to them. And so as a result, uh, we have to be very careful about that. Well, Mike's mission, uh, primary mission, although he'll be doing writing and other things, of course, but one of his primary goals is going to be uh, going ahead and collecting and putting into some formation all of these individuals that are out there and have been kind of uh, coming into our presence, and we're now getting to know them by virtue of their contacting us, whether they're ordering literature, whether they're donating, or in some cases calling in and asking questions and what have you. So Mike is going ahead and he's kind of identifying them and he's going to, uh, at some point, and he already has started this, dial and call them personally and basically introduce himself as a representative of the Church of God International, acknowledging the fact that they've been watching us and we know that and, uh, you know, we hope that they're happy with all the literature they've been getting or whatever they've been doing that we are uh, aware of that they've been doing and then introduce to them the fact that there's a half a dozen people within two miles of their home. You know, or tell them that, you know what, there's a Burlington congregation five miles away from your house because there may very well be people out there that are unaware of our presence, believe it or not, because they just don't use the Internet or they're just unaware of it for one reason or another. So Mike is going to go ahead and uh, begin to call on our behalf to introduce himself uh, as a representative, and then we're going to be putting meetings together in some of those outlying areas where we don't have congregations to see if we can't get something started. So what we'll be doing is telling them, you know, hey, Mr. Uh, Paul Matier, we're going to be having this meeting uh, in your area on such and such date at such and such time at such and such place, and we're going to be inviting, uh, you know, probably somewhere around 50, 60, 70 people. And uh, we hope that you will be able to attend and get to meet some of these individuals, and that's how we're going to introduce them to each other. And this way there's no violation of privacy laws. If they want to come and attend, uh, they can go ahead and get to know who's in their area. And hopefully, perhaps uh, on occasion, we'll be able to generate some uh, fellowship groups, study groups that uh, will come to, uh, to be. So we're excited about that, and certainly we do ask you for your prayers with regards to the success of that initiative because uh, we're going to be putting some time and money into it in order to try to promote it and do what we can to nurture it along to see if we can... Uh, uh, bring some formation to all of these folks that have been watching us uh, for now, you know, in some cases a year or two, and in some cases they're not in attendance with us, but they're donating money, and uh, it certainly does seem to be the appropriate thing to do. So we're looking forward to it and see how it's all going to play out and do, uh, like I say, appeal to all of you for your prayers uh, with regard to the success of this particular program. All righty. Well, I wanted to bring this message to all of you because I think it's a very important message. Matter of fact, I don't think it is. It is a very important message. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is, in light of the day and age that we're living in, probably very significant in each and every one of our lives. And it is a great privilege, as the title was given to you, although that's really kind of not all of the topic. What the topic that I want to talk about is actually the privilege. And it is. It's a great privilege, brethren. And today's day and age is certainly a day and age when all of us should be motivated beyond, beyond, uh, what you could say are, beyond our most interests in our lives. Because it is that important. And what I'm talking about is prayer. Prayer is a significant, a very significant privilege that all of us certainly do have access to and have access uh, to uh, more or less enhance our Christian walk and is very important for all of us to uh, benefit by. As a matter of fact, prayer can provide us with a lot, a lot of lessons. And therein lies a bit of where I want to go with this particular subject, because there are lessons to be learned about prayer. And many times, brother, I don't know if we realize this or not, but we have opportunity to go before the very king of the universe, our father, and be able to petition him 
to actually intercede in the lives of other people. Do you know what a privilege that is? And what a responsibility, frankly, it is to have that opportunity given to each and every one of us that as we look out in our life's experiences, see needs in people's lives, see needs in the world we live in, and frankly exercise the opportunity to appeal to God for his intercession, for his involvement, for him to affect, whether it be the lives of others, your own life, or circumstances and things around us that we see are complicating and or causing distress in other areas and ways that make life on this planet very difficult. Brethren, you have a a tremendous opportunity, a tremendous opportunity. And sadly, I don't believe all of us take advantage of this great privilege we have. And there's a lot of things that press on us. Without a doubt, there's a lot of things competing for our time that cause us not to really focus in on the the effort itself. Oh, yeah, we pray when we're driving in our car, perhaps, or maybe when we're on an airplane or sitting down waiting for you know uh, us to go into our doctor's office. But I'm talking about good quality prayer time. I'm talking about time where you take the time to go into your prayer closet, figuratively speaking, metaphorically speaking, And have some quiet time with just you and God. And letting him get to know you. And you taking time to really express yourself about certain things in passion, in personality. So he gets to know you as to who you really are. And get to develop and build that relationship with him. The scripture that was read uh, was purposed to allow and afford us some acknowledgement and awareness that we've got a, a creator through Christ who's our high priest that we can pray to the Father through that can be touched with our infirmities. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to go through the things that you and I go through, everything from soup to nuts, I mean from betrayal to laughing and being joyful. He knows the human experience from A to Z, went through it all and succeeded in not sinning and being able to qualify as a king of kings, lord of lords, and high priest for our benefit for the meantime so that we might be able to go to him in our needs or when we see certain things that need intervention and appeal to him and ask him and become what you could say very um, attentive to those things that are so very important in uh, the way of his involvement and our interest in his involvement with certain circumstances and or people and or even our own lives. Over here in chapter 6, a prerequisite, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 11 and in verse 6, a prerequisite is mentioned here. And perhaps this contributes to sometimes our derelict of duty with regard to prayer in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And he says here, but without faith, It is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And this is so true. Faith is a underpinning basis of a good prayer life. And it's sometimes not all that easy because faith is surreal. Faith is abstract. Faith is believing in something you can't see, you can't digest it, you can't process it through your five senses. It's spiritual. It's a characteristic. It's a believing within yourself of something that you know and understand is, but you do by virtue of your intellectual comprehension of knowing the word of God, who you believe does not lie. But nevertheless doesn't make it all that much easier to do because when you have physical tasks, when there are things of a material nature that compete for our time, so often (laughs) 
I mean, let's face it, those material things, those material interests, those material needs, the physical requirements from the day-to-day operations and just maintaining our lifestyles demand upon us, oftentimes push prayer off off the grid. Ah, I'm running late. Ah, I got to eat. Ah, I got to meet that guy. You know, there's always something, it seems like, that might get in the way that prevents us from having some quiet time. And even when we do have the quiet time, if indeed we're rushed, guess what? The quality is not there. Because we're rushed. We feel like there's there's, there's something that, ah, i got to get through this. i got to get it over. Ah, I'll just I'll punch the clock on it and get it over with kind of a thing. We've got to be careful about that. We got Those of you on the Internet, you need to be careful about those things. Because these are things that we all deal with, brethren. And we are in a time We are in a time when prayer is so needed amongst the world, the peoples of the world. Even if they're not of God's church, the peoples of the world need our prayers. The church of God should be a praying, a praying vehicle. There is so much. I mean, I could spend the rest of my time up here going through a litany of reasons why you should be praying. For this world, everything from human trafficking to political corruption to the needs of turning some of this stuff around on the world, drug trafficking, gun trafficking. I mean, so many things, so many uh, circumstances and forces that are in play that want to take this world into a very destructive mode. We have a big job if we take prayer seriously. Lots of things to talk to God about. There's no reason for you to say, hey, I I don't know what to pray about. (laughs) If you don't know what to pray about, just go to the book of Psalms. Turn to one of the Psalms and just start reading. And I'm sure you'll find a way to begin to all of a sudden lock into something that is on your mind and in your heart. Prayer, I think, as I say, is often sold short And frankly, without a good, healthy prayer life, you yourself will indeed fail in a good, healthy Christian walk. Prayer is an instrumental ingredient in the personality and character makeup of a solid, founded, secure, anchored Christian. You need to have a good relationship, brethren, with God. Prayer can teach you and affords you many, many things. It affords you an opportunity to bond with God. It helps you to minimize yourself because hopefully in your prayers, it's more, uh, it's not just about you, but also more about other things that are on your mind and are of your concern. And it also leads you into what I would hope is considered servant leadership, or a mindset of service. And I mean even in little things, brethren, because prayer develops a sensitivity about the needs of others, assuming, of course, your prayers are not focused on you all the time. But it is certainly an exercise that affords you to build sensitivities and concerns for others. You see somebody that trips on the ground, maybe you're in your car, you pull over, and you have this sense of service because you have a service outlook. Why? Because you were just praying about maybe asking God for an opportunity to serve somebody. And here, lo and behold, it's this little old lady who trips on the curb and falls, and all of her uh, groceries go out onto the sidewalk. Something that simple. Or opening up the door and being a gentleman. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had opportunity to go ahead and say, here, let me be a gentleman today. Don't take that opportunity away from me. And I open up the door for a lady to go in. And she laughs and smiles and says, oh, that's so nice of you, you know. But you do things like this. And why do you do that? Because you have an outlook. You have a mindset. You have a mental a mental a posture of service, of trying to do the best you can to be selfless. That's important. That's important. Prayer helps you to do that. Prayer teaches you, brethren, lessons. I want to take you through some of those lessons real quickly here that you can learn uh, from prayer, uh, and of which is certainly not a complete list because I'm uh, certain that you can uh, go ahead and come up with some of your own 
lessons of prayer, lessons from prayer, if you think hard enough about it. But these are a few that I put together that I want to share with you today. We're going to run through some scriptures. Hopefully your Bible is greased a little bit and you can go through them as fast as I can here or with me uh, on this. But in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 18, I want to take your attention over there. This is the first lesson, brethren. Prayer teaches you, and I've already touched on it in passing, prayer teaches you concern concern. It's a lesson means. It's a curriculum. It's a, it's a subject, a topic. It is a class that teaches concern. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance, the supplication for all the saints. Meaning, get your mind off yourself and pray for each other. Pray for others. Pray for the ministry. Pray for people that you know have certain needs. You pray, supplicate for all the saints. You come out of that circle of your own self and you share your concerns by expressing those uh, in uh, your verbiage and uh, dialogue to God about the needs of others. And for me, verse 19, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therefore in I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. How many of us do take the time to uh, to, to pray to, to God for the ministry, that we would remain courageous in the public square? It's not getting easy. It's not getting easy to be in the public square as a minister of, the, of Jesus Christ, of the church of God. It's becoming a bit more uh, nerve-wracking. You're out there uh, uh, vulnerable in many respects, as well as to even lawsuits, let alone the criticism. Do we pray for the ministry in these times of trouble we find ourselves in? Here's another uh, scripture over here just a few pages back in the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians and in chapter 6. And here in verse uh, 9, we pick up the, um, the narrative here in verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. And we have therefore opportunity, or as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And this is all about, again, being of service, showing that service, though, of outward uh, selflessness and concern and doing good uh, to others. In the book of James, chapter 5, and in verse 16, you see this listed here for our uh, reading and for our education in this lesson about prayer being a lesson of concern. In verse 16, we read, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. And that doesn't necessarily mean just physically. It may mean uh, healing from uh, lack of unemployment. It may mean healing from a mental disturbance of sorts, an emotional uh, disturbance, a situation in one's life that has created disruption. And you need healing from it. You need help. Now, you've got to be careful, of course. Don't let everybody know all of your own business because not, that's not always healthy either. Some people just can't really handle that stuff. You need to use good judgment and be very prudent about who you share your your most uh, intimate needs with and hopefully that you have a relationship with them and that they will uh, entrust that information and properly use that as they go to God and appeal to him on your behalf for the, your needs. But the point that I want to make is as you do become aware of the needs of each other, certainly take opportunity. Take opportunity to raise your voice up uh, on behalf of those individuals in fervent, effectual prayer because in this case, we know uh, that uh, of a righteous man avails much, as the scripture uh, does indeed uh, finish out there with uh, what it says. And it's a shame, brethren, if we don't take the time. It's a shame to all of us if we don't exercise the discipline of a regular, healthy habit of prayer. And I'm talking about, again, quality of prayer. I'm not talking about, as old Garner Ted would say, if you're hanging upside down in an elevator shaft, uh, it's a good time to pray. Yes, that's a good time to pray. <laughs> you know, it's a good time to pray when, when you've got trouble. 
But the sad part about it is people put God on the shelf and until they have a need, they only then take him down and take him off and say, oh, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Which is really not what we're talking about here. We're talking about building a relationship with God so that you have a friendship with him, that you've got a healthy give and take reciprocal type of relationship, a point where you are intimate enough, like Paul said, where you recognize, comprehend, and know to, to the deepest part of your bone marrow that you can call God your father, dad, daddy. What's he say in Romans 8? You're not a butler. You're not a maid. You've been adopted. We have a birthright as sons and daughters of God to be actually very intimate with our Father and have that kind of relationship to where we can feel comfortable in saying, Dad, look, I need the keys of the car, metaphorically speaking. You know? But my point that I want to make is you, you should have that kind of relationship. You don't, you don't just take them off the shelf when you need them. You, you put them always on your table. And you're giving him praise and you're talking to him even when you don't have a crisis at hand. Sadly, this world is loaded with people creating God in their own image and bringing him into the, into the mix, into the circumstances, into the situation only when they're in a crisis mode. And if you're like me, I mean, anybody would feel as though they're being used. <laughs> Frankly, if that's all the time you call me up and say, Bill, I need something, you know. Hey, Larry, I need something. Oh, oh boy, he's calling again. He needs something. People get to know you like that, you know. I wouldn't want God thinking about that. Hey, oh, Bill's calling again. Oh, he probably just needs something. You know? <laughs> We've got to be careful about that. We need a give and take reciprocal relationship. Prayer will help us to do that and take the rough edges off and really develop something that is actually real and intimate and uh, valuable to all of us. Point two, prayer teaches us. Forgiveness. Over here in 1 John, let me bring your attention over here to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read a few scriptures here. Chapter 1, breaking into the context here, the Apostle Paul writes this. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And point two again. Remember, prayer teaches us forgiveness. Why? Because God's forgiving, brethren. God's forgiving. And God expects the same thing from us. For as he's forgiving to us, we too should be forgiving to others. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that here uh, in another scripture in a moment. But let me continue to read here. He says here, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word's not in us. Chapter 2 now, verse 1, continuing. My little children, these things I'm writing unto you. Not that you sin. Don't sin. Sin not. And if any man does, well... Keep in mind, you know, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Christ, the righteous, and he is our propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in us. We know this. But whoso keeps his word in him truly is the love of God perfected, Hereby know, that is, it's completed, it's matured through that. Hereby uh, know we that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also, and here's the implication, this is the, the mandate and the command, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. And verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake. That's important that we understand that we do what we do out of love and out of concern to uh, for what God has done for us because that forgiveness is a foundation and a basis of why we are even here. If we didn't have that, brethren, we wouldn't be here. If you weren't forgiving, you wouldn't have probably any friends. Why? Because friends make mistakes. There's times over and above and many times throughout the course of your friendship, you're going to have to forgive them for something that they did. If you're not a forgiving person, believe me, you're going to isolate yourself and push people away. God says, no, 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 no. Learn to embrace. And how do you embrace? How do you learn to embrace? How do you learn to bring in close? You learn to forgive. 
you learn to forgive. Over here in Matthew chapter 6, notice this. Many of you are familiar with this uh, particular example of prayer. This is not uh, something to be followed by, as Jesus mentions here in verse 7. We'll break into the context here of the attitudes to be. Uh, this is one of the chapters in verse 7 we read here of Matthew 6. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Get your hands off the rosary. Put the rosaries away, you know, figuratively speaking. Don't just repeat the same thing over and over. Change it up. There's an outline here. You know, you, you start out with praising God. You start out with acknowledging God. You can start out with uh, basically expressing your deep appreciation for everything that God has given you and everything that God is. You know, that's what Jesus is telling us here. But I want to bring to your point or to your attention this point with respect to uh, this uh, idea about forgiveness in verse 12. He note, and notice this, in the course of this example prayer, he states this, this template, he states, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, that's a barometer. That's a, a barometric relative comparison. It is reciprocal in nature. He is telling you, look, forgive and he even proceeds here in verse 13. He says, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Now he goes back. Notice this, the verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, and he comes back with an emphasis. This is an important relativity that you need to comprehend, brethren, because if you're an unforgiving person, you are hindering God's ability to forgive you. He's expecting you to forgive. That's the barometer. The level of forgiveness that you exude, that you express, that you have in your heart from the, for those that betray you or have mistreated you or misappropriated you. You know, what does he say in other parts of the scripture? That you should even do good unto those who do bad to you. And in so doing, you're putting coals. Now, don't do it for that reason, but you, you know what I'm saying. It, 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 he says, in so doing, you're putting coals on their head because they have no reason to feel any angst or anger or hostility toward you. And by virtue of your forgiveness, the contrasting of that is all the more appealing to God because you're able to do it and get it done. That's important. That's important. And so he says here in... Um, uh, verse 14, back to chapter 6, book of Matthew. For if you forgive men their trespasses, their heavenly, uh, your heavenly Father uh, will also forgive you. But if you forgive not, and here's the man, here's here's the the reality check, brethren. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty clear. I mean, that's not hard. To understand, I mean that's that's pretty clear, right to the heart. So that's a mandate for all of us to really take very seriously. And in this lesson of uh, number two of forgiveness, prayer teaches us forgiveness. Prayer will help you to do that because it's hard when you're in the presence of God. Would you not admit and agree that in the presence of God, when you pray for somebody that has done you wrong, not to characterize it in a forgiving manner? I mean, would you feel appropriate? in praying to God to say, get that dirty rat. Get him. Cut his legs out from under him, Father. I don't like that guy. He deserves... I mean, you know, it just doesn't seem to ring right. You know what I mean? Uh, but the fact of it is, prayer has a way of tempering that, of being able to bring that back down, to ratchet that down into a more realistic understanding. And hopefully some of you will fall back into the fact that vengeance is mine. You know, the things about what goes around comes around. Don't worry about it. Let it go. Let it go. Do right. Forgive the guy. Forgive her. And move on. And if they continue to do the way they go, hey, so be it. They'll reap what they sow. That's what we're told. And you don't need to be a part of that. You don't need to be out there trying to stoke the fires to make that happen. Point number three. Prayer teaches us Appreciation over here in Ephesians chapter 1. Back up to the book of Ephesians. Prayer teaches us appreciation. It's important to take time uh, to go ahead and appreciate what you have from some of the simplest things that you have to perhaps some of the more complex things that you've been able to accomplish. Take time, brethren, 
to appreciate what God has done in your life. Count your many blessings one by one, you know. I mean, it's important to do that. It's important to take that time. Here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and in verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all heavenly spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's important to believe that. It's important to recognize it. It's important to allow that to sink in and to uh, take you into an area where you can truly comprehend how blessed you are in that respect. Book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 15, breaking into the context. And in verse uh, 13, it says here, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Wow. That's a big statement. That tells me, in my appreciation of Jesus Christ, that number one, I'm here because he died for me. You know what? I couldn't have done that for myself. That is a deep, deep item to be very appreciative for. And secondly, you know what this tells tells me? That I'm his friend. That I'm his friend. We need to take time to comprehend it. We need to take time to translate that into what does that mean? And if you're confused about it, think of a friend that you have. Why, how do you feel with that individual? Because that's how you should feel toward Jesus Christ. And how much you should be very, very appreciative for the fact that he's taken the hit for us to allow us to be here today in the mode that we're in uh, under God's grace uh, and his um Forgiveness. Over here in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 we read real quickly. And in verse uh, 28 we read this. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We are on track. Our trajectory is on track to be afforded entrance into a kingdom, a solid kingdom of God that is going to rule the world, brethren. That's your destiny. That is promised to each and every one of us. It is a done deal. Christ qualified for it. He resurrected. He's alive at the right hand of the Father and now has secured all of us, assuming, of course, we don't disqualify ourselves and allow uh, a bad lifestyle to encroach on our trajectory. But the fact of it is, assuming that we don't and we do go forward and succeed and accomplish this, it is something to deeply appreciate the kingdom and what it affords us and the opportunities in our future that are coming our way as a result of his success in overcoming this life as a human being and uh, being able to um, succeed in being sinless throughout it. Point four. Point four. Prayer teaches us, and this kind of goes along with appreciation, but it's also thankfulness stands on its own. To be thankful, brethren, is a very important uh, point as well. And again, back to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse uh, 20, we read here, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's important, to be thankful for what you have. First Thessalonians, over here, again, another statement by the Apostle Paul, but reminding all of us with respect to thankfulness in chapter 5 of First Thessalonians, we read uh, in verse 17, we read, Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Give thanks. Give thanks to God for your house, your car, your wife, your children, your job, your health. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Take time. Show God you are thankful. If we're not doing these things, brethren, we are missing a great opportunity to express to God our our real heartfelt appreciation and 
thankfulness or gratitude toward what he has accomplished with us and or what we've been recipients and beneficiaries of from his loving kindness. And it's a shame that we don't take more time. I'll be the first to stand here that I'm still struggling with uh, trying to achieve certain benchmarks in my own life, in my prayer life, because it's hard. We're constantly distracted. There are so many things competing for our time. And if, as a statement has been made in the past, I'll just say it again because it's certainly a sage statement to keep in mind, if God, or if Satan, that is, if Satan can't get at you directly, he will waste your time. He will waste your time. And what I mean by that is waste your time chasing small priority items that take your time away because we all only have 24 hours. We sleep, let's say, on an average, perhaps seven, eight hours. So you're left with about, what, 15, 16, maybe 17 hours. What do we do with that while we're awake? And you can attribute what you do, how you're taking care of yourself, hygienically, and so on and so forth. You subtract all that time. What do you do? How are you spending your life? Because your time, your time is your life. And so, therefore, it becomes a very big priority to evaluate and assess our um, way and means of spending our time. Here in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, real quickly here, reading in verse 6 of chapter 2, book of Colossians, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I'm alive. I'm not under the law anymore. And what I mean by that, you know it as well as I do, and if you don't, you should. I'm not under the death penalty. The law claims me no more. Why? Because Christ died for my sins. And therefore, the death penalty that the law claimed on me because of the sin in my life, sin is the transgression of law. The wages of sin is death. Real simple equations here. One and one is two. And I stand here, brethren, as you sit there before me and those of you on the internet that are watching and sitting there wherever you're at, we sit here, assuming, of course, you're baptized and repentant and committed to Jesus Christ and doing the best you can to continue to walk in that way. The fact remains, we're here because of what our Lord did. We should be thankful for that. Very, very thankful and deeply, as pointed out previous, appreciative for it. And, of course, learning to uh, be more thankful about it as we come to grips with the real value uh, that that has uh, on us in our lives uh, here in our Christian walk with, uh, with God. Over here in First uh, Corinthians and in chapter... 16, still talking about being thankful, uh, we read here in chapter 16 and in verse 8, uh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. When people talk to you, you know, and, they, and you have opportunity perhaps to give a little testimony, give credit to God in your life. Don't hesitate. It's not, it shouldn't be, that is, embarrassing or uh, you shouldn't hesitate about giving God credit for why you are the way you are or what's been going on in your life, how you've been able to, if somebody asks you certain things about your life, your lifestyle, or what you're doing, or what do you attribute certain things for, hey, don't be shy. Tell them, Jesus Christ in my life. I gave my life to Christ a long time ago. Nothing to be ashamed uh, about when talking in those terms to people who are inquisitive about certain ways that you seem to exhibit and manifest in your life. Point five, very important point here, very important point. Point five, prayer teaches us to depend on God. Prayer teaches us to depend on God. Prayer provides you opportunity to include God in your life. If you're not taking advantage of that opportunity to invoke God's intercession in your life, there are going to be things that you're going to miss. And 
answers that might come your way and things that might work out for you to your benefit, you will miss because guess what? If you didn't ask for it, you'll miss the fact that you didn't get the answer that you thought. In other words, you won't attribute it to answered prayer. Whereas if you would have asked God, you could attribute it to answered prayer. And that is a very big faith building experience. Over here in the uh, the book of Psalms, we read this in the book of Psalms. <clears throat> and in uh, chapter 56, chapter 56 in the book of Psalms, and in verse 3, what time... Uh, or no matter what time, really, this is what is meant here by the writer, no matter what time I am afraid, I will uh, trust in uh, God. No, that's uh, part of point six. I wanted to, uh, Matthew 7, that's where I was. I was in Matthew 7. Let me go back to Matthew 7, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 7, and in um, verse 7. That's what I wanted to to go to Matthew 7 and verse 7 it says here ask and it shall be given seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you for every one that asks receives and he that seeks finds and to him that knocks it shall be opened or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone it says here, he continues on and he says, uh, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And it is important to recognize that in dependence of God, you're asking for God's will to be invoked or to be put into, to be integrated into your life and into your requests. Keep in mind, your will may not always match with God's will. There's an old song by the Rolling Stones that's been growing in popularity here recently that many of us know just exactly the sage advice that it means or the reality check it provides, and that is you don't always get what you want. <laughs> you get what you need. You get what you need. And your father knows best what you need. He knows what you need better than you do. And it may not be what you want. So you may be asking, and the answer's coming, but it doesn't match your will. But that doesn't mean you didn't get the answered prayer that you're asking about. And that's important to recognize, brethren. Because it's God's will that is most important and certainly does take precedence uh, in our lives. Over here, back in the uh, first epistle of the book of John, back toward Revelation here, and in um, chapter 5, we read uh, this particular statement by the Apostle John. And in verse 14, chapter 5, and in verse 14, we read this. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, here's the operative, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, that's tied together. I'm asking, and in faith I believe, that he hears me. And he knows what I'm asking. I'm asking for a fish, metaphorically speaking, figuratively speaking. I'm asking for this fish. And I know that he hears me. And if you know that he hears me, whatsoever you ask, we know that we have the request that we desired of him or the asking that we desired of him. And again, I come back that if indeed God's will doesn't match what you're asking and he thinks that you need a dog instead of the fish, deal with it. Who's God? You or God? Oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. That's not what I want. Help me, help me, help me. And then when it's all over, put him away. Because, see, I want a God in my image, most people think. I want a God that does what I want, not what I need. I don't want that kind of intervention. I want to be led by what my will is. And so often, brethren, that's where we get into trouble. That regardless of the answer that might come in our prayers, that if we don't agree with it, we insist on exercising our own will. 
And that's where we get into complications. God says, look, learn to depend on me. And of course, here it says uh, in this particular case that we do need to uh, concede to allow God to be God. Over here, just a few pages over in First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. We read this very clearly. And in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is involved in your life? If you believe God is involved in your life and you're praying to God, you're including Him in your life, then concede to God's will in your life and do the best you can knowing full well what God's will is in your life to abide in that fashion and to, if need be, surrender to His will as you go through the course of your life in the prayers that you're invoking, whatever they may be, and even though they may not match up with what you wanted, you got what you need. And so now deal with it. Let God be God in your life and do the best you can. Paul prayed, what, three times? I want this thorn removed. Do you hear me? (laughs) But guess what? He finally got the message that no answer was the answer. No answer was the answer. And sometimes it's hard to deal with. Sometimes it is. Yet nevertheless, we are told we are a very blessed people regardless uh, of how our wills may match up with what we want with uh, and what God's will may be uh, in the situation here. First Peter chapter 3 and in verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open under their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so it's important, too, that we keep our lives, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment, that we keep our lives in line with what God's will is as well. Over here in the book of John, chapter 9, the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 9, and over here in verse 31, verse 31, uh, we read this. And then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Very simple directive. Nothing hard to understand about that. John said the commandments, you know, the the love of God is to abide by and obey his commandments. It's very important that we recognize the will of God and recognize it with clarity because it does indeed have a lot to do with uh, our relationship and prayers to be heard, as you will see here in a moment. Point six, prayer teaches us to trust and to hope. Prayer teaches us to trust and to hope. And since uh, we're still here in the the New Testament, let's go back to 1 Peter real quickly here. 1 Peter, and in chapter uh, 3, again, and in verse 3, whose adorning, let it be not that outward adorning of uh, plating of hair and of wearing of gold or putting on apparel, uh, but let it be hidden in a man's heart. No, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. Six and seven, dropping down to six and seven. Even Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are long, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, husbands dwell with them. That's not what I wanted either. How did that get in there? Verse five. Verse five. For after this manner in old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorn themselves, thanks, appreciate that, being in subjection under their own husbands. And it is important that uh, we learn to trust, but that's not exactly what I wanted either. So I'm just going to skip that and go to Romans 8. Let me go to Romans 8 for this point 6. Because point 6 is very important in learning to trust, uh, trust God and trust Him in hope because we have a lot uh, to uh, be appreciative and thankful for in this regard. Chapter 8 in the book of Romans, and in verse uh, 24 we read this, For you are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man sees, uh, what a man sees, why does he still hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And that's so important, brethren, because that's where we're at. We are in a hopeful state, secured by faith, and in that regard, looking with trust to uh, God 
for his deliverance of what he claims he is going to provide. And we understand that, and we have full faith, hope, and trust that that is going to come to us in due course and in due time. Here in 2 Corinthians, over here Second 2 Corinthians and in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, still on this theme about trusting and hoping. Uh, chapter 5 and in verse 7, we read this, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And again, I go back to that underpinning element we talked about way back when in the outset of this presentation with Hebrews chapter 11 there in verse 6 where it says faith is how we please God. Faith is a very important element because it provides us with the mechanism by which we can hope, build trust, as we develop this relationship with God through gratitude and thankfulness and deep appreciation for what he's provided us all with. And so it's important in point number seven to keep all of this in mind as we do the best we can to stop sinning in our lives. Jesus had a very simple and direct statement to the woman who was caught in adultery. And after all of her accusers were dismissed, he and her were there by themselves. And in verse 11, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, we read this, and Jesus said, and this is point 7, prayer teaches us not to sin. This is point 7. Prayer teaches us not to, be, not to sin because it should help us to develop a sensitivity toward understanding how seriously counterintuitive and counterproductive sin is to the Christian life. And even though we may find ourselves falling from time to time, it's really important that we stay in the frame of mind that we are committed to living righteously in accordance to the schoolmaster's guidance of which the law is in many respects. The law teaches us what is right and what is wrong. If there ever was a law that could provide righteousness, certainly that would have been the law. But the fact of it is we're saved by faith. We're saved through God's grace by virtue of God's forgiveness. And the rest is up to us to recognize then what God's directives are through, of course, his guidance of substance that we find listed in the law. And here in verse 11, Jesus says it very clearly. Then uh, to the woman, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, that basically assumes the fact you know what sin is and that you understand. Sin is transgression of law, as we already uh, pointed that out. Over here in Isaiah, over here in Isaiah chapter 59, let me take you over there for a moment. This is a very clear statement by a prophet many years ago in the Old Testament where he said very clearly, Behold, the Lord, this is verse 1, Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. No, it's not shortened at all. Neither his ears heavy that it cannot hear. But your lawlessness, your iniquities, your sins have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. And so here we're told very clearly that if we're going to live a sinful life and not have God's will in our lives to be the dominant uh, pervasive force, direction, and um, what you could say um, uh, trajectory, we're then going to miss an awful lot of things from God because God's not going to bless that. God's not going to uh, partake in that other than perhaps to get involved with you in a way that uh, may not be the most comfortable for you because God cares for all of us and sometimes he does take action uh, that will indeed guide us and put us back on track uh, if indeed we need to uh, be directed and or guided in that fashion. Psalms chapter six, uh, Psalms chapter 66, Psalms chapter 66 over here, and in verse 16, I break into the narrative. Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth 
and he was extolled with my, with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I approve is what that Hebrew means. If I go ahead and enjoy, provide, if I make means by which a lifestyle affords me a life of sin, and I'm regarding that sinful life, I'm living a double life, or I'm, I'm trying to fool people while I go ahead and have my cake and eat it too in that respect, God is saying, look, I'm not going to hear you. But verily, God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And one last one over here, Proverbs. Uh, just turning to Proverbs and in chapter uh, 1. Let's just look real quickly here to Proverbs chapter 1. And in verse uh, 24, uh, we read, Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded but you have set it not all my counsel and would uh, would none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, did not choose my will when I gave them that direction. They insisted on going in a different way, their way. They wanted me in their image. He says here, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkens unto me shall dwell uh, safely, quietly, uh, be quiet, that is, from the fear of, uh, of evil. So, brethren, these, these seven points, and I'm going to stop here uh, due to the sake of time, but like I mentioned, this is not certainly a complete list, but it's, it, it gets you started. There's a lot of lessons in prayer that we can learn if we take the time to realize how helpful and beneficial Prayer can be in our lives. The lessons it teaches, concern, it teaches forgiveness, it teaches us to be able to appreciate and to be thankful. It gives us opportunity to develop a dependence on God, and of which if indeed you don't develop a dependence on God, you're selling God short in your life, brethren. I can't emphasize that enough. Pray to God. Ask God to be involved in your life so that you might be able to appreciate the benefit of recognizing his intervention in your life. Do you know what it's like to have answered prayer? What a faith-building experience that is? It's an immense faith-building experience when finally, perhaps, once, twice, on occasion, your will matches God's will, and you get what you thought you wanted, and he gives it to you. He gives it to you. I've had a few of those experiences. I don't know about you, but they are faith-building experiences. Healings that I've witnessed, supernatural, supernatural healings, that there's no way. You can't explain it other than God got involved in that situation. These are wonderful opportunities, and it certainly does us well if we do take the time to develop that point five, dependence on God, and of course, trust and hope, as point six pointed out, and to realize, brethren, that we have to, in so many ways, eschew sin in our lives. Get right with God by through repentance and living your life in a in a way that aligns itself with God's God's way of life and His direction, and certainly uh, His uh, means by which hopefully will help us to live a simpler, more healthier life. Nurturing from God, brethren, comes from aligning our will with God's will. The more we align ourselves, our will, with God's will, the simpler our life becomes. And in this complex society, simplicity is best. <laughs> it really is in so many respects because life can get away from you real quick by just having a few wrong decisions in your life throughout the course of those opportunities that come your way. Take your time. If you've got decisions to make in your life, take time to really think it through and pray. 
Pray about it, those of you on the Internet as well. Take time to be prudent, to be patient. Let God have some time with you as well. Don't give God deadlines. Be patient as you request and implore his His involvement and intervention in the circumstances or your life or someone else's life as you implore him and beseech him to become involved with. God has his own time frame. He works on his own time schedule. We cannot force God to be serving on our time schedule. God is God, and that's something we always need to remember. We can't force God into our wills. We have to concede to God's will, and that's what he's looking for. He's looking for people. He's looking for sons and daughters that are indeed committed to him because they want to be, not because they're being coerced, not because they're being um, in any way, shape, or form forced, blackmailed, (laughs) you know. God doesn't work that way. God wants you to be on his team as he builds this Gideon's army because you want to be. He wants a heart that is conceded to him. And brethren, prayer will help you accomplish that.